Hey, I'm Kelly McEvers, and Embedded is back. President Donald Trump has no record of public service, but he does have a record in business and on TV. In our latest round of stories, we introduce you to the people who were there as he built an empire and a name. Listen on the NPR One app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, y'all. This is Sam's Aunt Daddy. This week on the show, Washington Post writer Alexandra Petri and the host of Slate's The Gist podcast, Mike Pasco. All right, let's start the show. I, lo- I love it. Can your aunt be always introduce me? That That's beautiful. She would if she could, trust. Hey, y'all. This is NPR. Sam Sanders here. It's been a minute. Each week, we start with a different song. I'll explain this song in a second. First, as Aunt Betty said, two great guests here uh, in D.C., Alexander Petri, and in New York, Mike Pesca. Thanks for going to Manhattan today. I was I was here already. Okay. I took Manhattan as Danielle Steele once in turn. <laughs> <laughs> So Alexandra writes a compost blog for the Washington Post. It's very funny. Mr. Pesca hosts his own podcast for Slate called The Gist. Have you guys guessed who's singing this song yet? The song which I love. Uh, is it a reboot of the Fugees? Oh, it's Fuji-esque. It's it Fuji-esque. <laughs> it's got one of the Fugees in the song. Most songs do, or for a time. <laughs> <laughs> it's Wyclef Jean who wrote this song for a little singer you may have heard of named Whitney Houston. Oh. This is from our big comeback album in 98. Uh, the song is called My Love Is Your Love from the album My Love Is Your Love. And I'm playing this song because Wyclef Jean did a Tiny Desk concert here at NPR this week. Oh. And a Tiny Desk concert is exactly what it sounds like. A concert here at NPR in front of a Tiny Desk filmed and posted online later. He was saying when he went in to work with Whitney Houston, they're going through the song, getting it all together. And at one point, Wyclef feels a need to tell Whitney that she was a little bit pitchy on a note. Wow. So he goes to Whitney and says, you were a little flat on that note, Whitney Houston. (laughs) Whitney Houston stops, thinks, and says to Wyclef Jean, the note is not flat. I just bent the note. Mm. <laughs> Wyclef said she was right. What, and Wyclef saying she was right is the right thing to say. Yeah, even if she was wrong, <laughs> yeah. say she was right. In retrospect, I, Whitney was incorrect. It would not be a good <laughs> way to end that story. Yeah, Whitney is a little like the Pope when he speaks ex, ex cathedra. <laughs> <laughs> she becomes right just by saying it. There you go, because the spirit is in her. Yeah. <laughs> We are here today to discuss what happened this week, fires raging all through California, the latest with the Environmental Protection Agency, the latest with Harvey Weinstein, and also how the Trump White House is doing a lot without Congress. Okay, let's get started. As we always do, I want us each to describe the week of news in only three words. Alex, you are up first. Uh, well, th- I discovered by doing this that three words is not very many words. Th- that is true. <laughs> that is true. But mine were not you two. Me? Bono? Not you. Not you specifically. See, they're cryptic. They're cryptic <laughs> words. But that's been my overwhelming feeling of staring into the internet, watching the ongoing conflagration that is the Harvey Weinstein story. Because I was hoping that the universal female experience wouldn't be that, like, some creepy dude in a position of power tries to exploit that power for you in some way. But the number of women who've come forward and be like, no, this happened to me, it has just been devastating. And then the, the number of people who are coming forward and now saying, oh, well, this is not just this guy, it's endemic to the system, which you sort of, everyone knew is one of those, like, open secrets are apparently a thing where everyone, like, knows everyone about knows. something and doesn't do anything. And I, 
I, I have to say I'm not a big fan. Like Bob Corker <laughs> earlier this week when he was saying, oh, yeah, everyone in the Senate knows that Donald Trump is like not fit to serve and we're all terrified and we're like buying a bunker together. It's like, well, it, it, oh, we just all know this and this is a thing that we've accepted and we're just going to carry on in our normal way. Yeah. Do you think this is a, a sea change? I don't know. We've had so many sort of sea changes. Yeah. Like, I hate being old enough, like, just old enough to remember, like, when we thought the one thing that was going to change mm-hmm. everything happened, mm-hmm. and then it happened, and then everything didn't change, and eventually, like, people trickle back in. I will say one thing that this whole Weinstein stuff made me realize this week. I don't ever, ever, ever want to hear about men being in bathrobes again. I'm over that's, men yeah. in bathrobes. Nate, tell me where my... <laughs> that, you know, that's a good way of looking at it. Because, like, the Sean Spicer, Donald Trump bathrobe controversy, remember when he had to come out oh, and be like, yeah. Donald Trump does not own a bathrobe, <laughs> which, yeah. what a strange There's thing to so come many... out and tell people. But, yeah, bathrobes... All I'm saying is, <laughs> no man has ever put on a bathrobe and said, I'm going to be a better person now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> right. No, it's true. The better angels of our nature, I'm examining that phrase, no mention of bathrobe in there <laughs> <Yeah>. whatsoever. <laughs> All right. Thank you for your three words. Uh, I'm going to go next. My three words are, well, not exactly. Can I tell you why? (laughs) Tell us why. All right. I think it begs to be told. Yes, yes. Because I feel like all week we've been seeing Trump do what on first glance seemed like really big things. Mm -hmm. But then you read between the lines and you say, not exactly. There is uh, some changes at the EPA and the Clean Power Plan. We'll talk more about that later. There is uh, There are these two changes to Obamacare, which um, don't exactly dismantle it, but could change it a lot. And keep in mind, this comes after we all thought two or three weeks ago that Obamacare was totally fine and here to stay forever. Uh, well, not, <laughs> not exactly, not actually. Um, and also even like threats of leaving NAFTA, um, the latest with the Iran deal. I won't go too deep into that. But basically, Donald Trump with the Iran deal saying he will no longer certify it. Um, is allowing a way for Congress to keep this deal intact, but still allow him to say, I don't like it. So this whole week has just felt like Trump saying, well, not exactly. Well, it, and it seems that the usual, well, not exactly, is a tweet he will put out there, a uh, either a boast he'll make or a threat. But this is a little bit different from the not that kind of not exactly. Yes. So there's one kind of not exactly like we're going to have IQ tests with me and the Secretary of State. <laughs> and I'd watch yeah. that. That's like a, a special that I'd uh, pay per view for. <laughs> but these are actual acts of government that on first blanche, as you say, oh, redoing Obamacare. Oh, well, no. Not exactly. Oh, uh, Iran is getting kicked in the keister. Oh, not exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it just further speaks to this ongoing gridlock we've seen, not just between Donald Trump and Congress, but Donald Trump and his own party. He has to move on Obamacare through these executive actions because he can't get his party together to repeal it. Um, He is not in lockstep at all, it seems, with congressional Republicans and even higher ups in his administration when it comes to the Iran deal. Right. And you would think that as the president, as a Republican president, he's uh, the leader of the Republican Party. Well, not exactly. And we've seen <laughs> yeah. the fights that he's picked um, along the lines, and some of them have blown back to hurt him. Uh, maybe maybe this is more on the Iran deal, but maybe the fight he picked with Corker will hurt him. And it seems to me that Trump makes decrees uh, policy, and he sort of thinks, well, how will this play in the media? How can I spin it? How can I get my base to 
uh, buy into it, whereas individual senators and individual congressmen think there's an actual person in my district who will be hurt by this, or maybe will be helped. But things that hurt actual voters are things that legislators are going to vote against. So it's like one area where the legislature is actually functional. And, you know, last riff on the three words, well, not exactly. A lot of times you assume that when a president signs an executive order or issues guidance on a nuclear deal with Iran, that that would give more clarity to these issues. <laughs> but this week, with Trump's actions on both of these things, where you think there'd be more clarity, you say, well, not exactly. Yeah. All right, Mike, you're up next. Describe your week of news in three words. All right. Well, this touches on some of the things we were talking about, but not in the bathrobed way. It's <laughs> not functioning legislatively. Which feels like it could be an acronym. Right? Yeah. And, and this explains Ooh. the NFL. And uh-huh. it gets back to what we're talking about. This is my explanation for the motivation of Mike Pence walking out in a huff because they didn't bring the vice presidential fainting couch to a game <laughs> in Indianapolis and the continued uh, poking of Jamel Hill of ESPN. Donald Trump calling for the NFL to lose its nonprofit status, which it actually gave up two years ago. He did it. Yes, that's right. He breathed it into being. Um, the reason that I call it not functioning legislatively is that he's not getting anything done uh, legislatively through the processes we've been talking about. He's doing a lot of, I have an idea, I campaigned on this, I'm punting it to Congress. So what does he need? He needs a win on an issue that's really discernible. He goes after the NFL and he goes after uh, standing for the national anthem. All right. Well, we got a lot done there. I'm proud of us. Yeah, we covered it all. We did. Time for a quick break. We'll be right back. Like a with... bathrobe. <laughs> oh, unlike no, the bathrobe a, unlike doesn't a bathrobe. cover it all. It doesn't, yeah. It doesn't. Unlike a bathrobe. Yeah. <laughs> Just say no to bathrobes. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Thank you all for your three words, nine words altogether. Going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Lyft, reminding listeners that they could be relaxing in a Lyft ride right now, with their eyes closed, listening to Beethoven or whale sounds, or a babbling brook, or something else relaxing. Lyft provides rides as relaxing as the buttery smooth voice of a public radio announcer, because riding is just a more relaxing way to drive. Lyft. It matters how you get there. Download and ride today. Quick plug for another NPR podcast, Up First. One listener review on Apple Podcasts goes like this. I listen to Up First every morning on my walk to work. It gives me a great summary of the top news stories during the day and the upcoming week. Wake up with Up First on the NPR One app and wherever you listen to podcasts. We're back. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was... I'm Sam Sanders, here with Mike Pesca, host of a very good podcast called The Gist, and Alexandra Petri of The Washington Post. Real quick, guys, a game. Your rap name is Young, plus the last thing you purchased. What's your rap name, Mike? Young thing that promises to tell the cat not to scratch the couch but doesn't work. Okay. <laughs> Alex? Young assorted bag of candy corn and mellow cream pumpkins. <laughs> <laughs> I am Young Veggie Omelet. Aww. Oh, yeah. man. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now it's time for a segment that we call Long Distance. So we call a listener somewhere in the world and talk to them about the news where they live. Today on the line, we have a Santa Rosa, California native, 
Her family is feeling the effects of the massive wildfires out there firsthand. Marisa Walshlager, you there? Yeah, I'm here. Hey. So you live in San Diego, but you are from Santa Rosa. Your family's still up there. You went to high school up there. Yeah, exactly. And, like, a lot of those things are now gone. Our high school has half burned down. Oh, man. And Mm -hmm. I have a lot of um, friends from high school who have lost their homes. So it's been kind of a crazy time. It's one of those things that is mind-blowingly unreal. Yeah. And so is your parents' house okay? Oh, yeah, that's been a blessing. So we've actually had a lot of evacuees coming in and out of the house over really? the last week. Yeah. When the fire started on Monday, I wasn't here, but my uh, sister, her best friend, and her boyfriend were both getting woken up like at 2, 3 a.m. to get evacuated. And so she had to wake up my parents so that they could all come here to oh, be safe. My. Yeah, and yeah. then some of their other friends from work also were getting evacuated and were here. So it's kind of been people in and out, kind of like commune living. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So I've seen some pictures and seen some video of the scenes out there, but when you drove up, like, what did it look like? It seems really, really bad. It is really bad, and it's just so strange. Like, there's a the huge Kmart that, you know, is right by our high school is completely burned out. It's, like, hollowed out, and you can see it from the freeway. Another thing is um, the Fountain Grove Inn has, like, a round barn that was, like, such an iconic building on the hill. It was one of the oldest, like, round barns, and it was huge and beautiful, and that is gone. Oh, man. A lot of the landmarks like that are just gone. How much has this community been, like, surprised by the fires? I mean, there are always wildfires in California, but this part of the state, wine country basically, um, it's never been known to have fires like this. Was everyone just caught off guard by it all? Yeah, I think so, because just the nature of it being right in the city. Because, mm. you know, we're used to having fires in the county, like, yeah. you know, out in out in the rural parts or in the northern parts. But it literally burned straight through the center of town. Oh, my goodness. And then went straight down into other residential areas. So that's the thing that's been so shocking and hard is that it's destru- like it just took so many homes in the wake and no one expected that. Oh, man. Now, you're engaged and your fiance, David Hoisington, his parents' home is in that area and it was destroyed? Yeah, it's gone. Like, Oh, my goodness. His whole neighborhood is just empty now. Uh, is he there with you? Yeah, he is. Can you hop on the phone for a little bit? Yeah, here he is. Hey, David. Oh, hey. Hey how, hey, how are you? I'm so sorry for your loss. How are you doing? Oh, I, I'm doing fine. I'm, it's more my parents that are having the real difficulties. How so? Oh, just losing. You know, they well, they were gone to Phoenix to visit my brother since it was his birthday. So they weren't even in town during it. So as much as other people didn't have time to grab their essentials, they didn't have time to grab anything or anything. But in a way, it was a little bit of a blessing because our cat was put in a cat hotel while they were gone. So she was able to be evacuated and everything, and some of our neighbors were only able to get one of their pets out in time because the fire happened so fast. But, like, your parents didn't take their favorite photo albums with them to Phoenix, right? No, yes. All the the baby photos are gone, and we're having a bit of 
the British gallows humour and being like, our birth certificates are gone, so we're not born anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Man, so... uh... The scene must just be crazy. I've been talking to friends up in NorCal. There's smoke and haze and debris in the air as far west as San Francisco. You look at these burned-out fields and neighborhoods. It's as if a bomb went off there. Mm-hmm. Did anything prepare you for what you were going? I mean, for what you saw? Um, only on the drive up north was it becoming a little bit apparent how bad it was when we were passing a bunch of fire trucks and ambulance services from like Riverside County and Irvine all the way up through north. And then the next morning, since we arrived at night, but by the morning your car has ash on it. Oh, man. It's hazy. If you're out during the day, sort of near the fires, you do feel a bit fatigued. Cause Just because you can't breathe that well? Wow. Yeah, because I was inhaling some bad air all day. Oh, man. So what's next for you guys? I think my parents have to find some temporary housing. That's first for them. But for me and Marisa, what we're going to do is maybe help sift through the debris, see if there's anything that can be salvaged, any little thing or something. But like I said, my family, we're trying to be more humorous about it through it and just laugh at one another and joke about the things. Give me a funny moment if there was such such a thing. Um, Well, one of our... My girlfriend's father went and took photos. <laughs> she went and took photos of the damage for us and sent us the photos. And one of the first things we noticed is when we first got the house, there was this little statue of a rabbit that is absolutely god-awful, <laughs> terrible. But somehow it managed to survive the fire. The survived. <laughs> yep, the rabbit survived. That's very funny. Well, I want you guys to send me a photo of that rabbit because I want to <laughs> see it. And Marisa and David, thank you for talking with me. I am sending good vibes your way. Yes, thank you too. Thanks. All righty, take care. Bye-bye. Thanks, guys. Bye. Just to kind of put this thing in perspective, some of the numbers around these fires are really staggering. You know, as of Thursday... 31 people have died because of the fires. There's hundreds of folks missing. Thousands of structures were destroyed. 170,000 acres affected. Um, worst fires in state history. When you just hear those statistics, though, it's always putting a person to each one of those statistics. Yeah. Like yeah. Marisa. Yeah. And what's so strange to me is someone who kind of follows California weather. Just a few months ago, California had a very, very wet winter, which ended severe drought in some places. And we've gone from that to this. And what's crazy is that wet winter led to a lot of growth and a lot of brush. Uh. Then a dry summer dried it all out, making perfect conditions for fires like these. Yeah. Anyway, sending good vibes. Listeners, want to talk to you for this segment. If you want us to give you a call and hear about anything going on where you live, drop us a note. Tell me what's going on. samsanders at npr.org. You are listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I'm Sam Sanders, here with Mike Pesca from The Gist. Also here, Alexandra Petri from The Washington Post. It's time now to talk about our main story of the week, the EPA. The Environmental Protection Agency. Some stuff went down there this week. You guys must have heard of this by now, right? Mm. Oh, yeah. Uh, Scott Pruitt, head of the EPA, has begun the process of rolling back the Obama administration's clean power plan. Uh, Trump talked about taking this thing away during the campaign. Pruitt, as well, talked about doing the same thing. But it's 
finally happening. So the Clean Power Plan was uh, basically this plan to help states cut carbon emissions uh, from power sources by a third by 2030 to address global warming. And basically this plan gave each state its own target to decrease emissions. But the thinking was by critics that the targets were such that you could only meet them if you shut down coal plants and shifted to natural gas or to wind and solar, which led the likes of Scott Pruitt to say Obama and his team were basically picking winners and losers when it comes to energy. Um, And this thing has happened now. Yes. Uh, So in Dateline Hazard, Kentucky, Scott Pruitt uh, announced his plan. And of course, they all cheered. He's like a reverse Santa Claus giving coal (laughs) away. And to their credit, unlike a lot of other things, this is something that the uh, Trump administration or the nation's administration, the Trump campaign, campaigned on, promised it, went through with it. So promise fulfilled. I don't think it's a good long-term solution. We have to do something about emissions. The court mandates it. And Scott Pruitt was saying, you know, this whole thing about picking winners and losers. I watched his whole speech in Hazard. I mean, what is regulation? What is regulation if not saying you are in violation of a regulation, therefore you lost because of that regulation? I don't understand the overlay of winners and losers with the regulation idea. But to push back against uh, some of this, I think, you know, there's a lot of data that suggests that with or without the clean power plan, which sidebar is still held up in court. It hasn't actually been put in place yet. But even without the plan, market forces themselves would lead to a reduction in greenhouse gases just because the entire world is shifting away from things like coal. So uh, there's a more nuanced argument that could be made to support this move, basically saying don't let the government get in the way of what the markets would be doing anyway. Yeah. I mean, well, that does imply, though, that market forces are sort of proceeding uninhibited and that eventually the coal industry will quietly die because economic forces will dictate that this will happen. And for that to happen, you need to have not meddling by like the coal industry saying, hey, wait a second. What what if we like keep this going? But yeah. For me, what is just as interesting is what happens to this policy, what it's replaced with. Um, Scott Pruitt is a very interesting character. He was swept into office as Oklahoma's attorney general in 2010 under a Tea Party wave. um, And he actually sued the EPA in that role. Now he runs it. Um, He is believed to be someone who does not think that humans contribute uh, to climate change. And a lot of critics say that he is trying to basically dismantle the EPA from the inside. A lot of positions still unfilled. And I think these larger questions about the state of the government under a Trump administration that believes in much smaller government, it's like, huh, how does that shake out? Yeah, no, it's funny to watch. Well, how much government do we really need to get by? Because over at the State Department, everyone says it's like a one sad tumbleweed sitting at a desk with like a bunch of papers <laughs> that it's compiled over the past like 14 years and no one there to receive that paper from the tumbleweed. And everyone goes home at three and is sad. That's like a – there's multiple departments where this is happening. It's yeah. not just the – uh EPA. So it is, it's exciting to see, well, do we need a government? Like, um, I mean, it's not that. I mean, like, 
I do think that there's a good portion of the country that voted for Donald Trump, that is Republican, that is conservative, that genuinely inherently believes in smaller government. They wanted the government to get its hands off of business. They wanted the folks that could give them a job where they live to be unfettered. They wanted less regulation and smaller government. Trump is delivering exactly what he said he would to a large portion of people that voted for him. The government is so complex and issues of the day are so hard for the normal person to grapple with. And whenever I see people saying uh, this is what Trump promised or they voted for Trump, therefore they want all these policies, I think people want an outcome. And the outcome, broadly speaking, is, you know, a better life, improving material conditions and the sense that your fellow countrymen are also improving. However you get there, you get there. And to say that, you know, all the fine details of everything that the administration is doing is explained aloud, justified by the fact that Trump got the votes. I don't think that really connects with the reality. On the other hand, there is definitely waste in government. It would be ridiculous to say otherwise. And sometimes you do need to step back and get more of a bird's eye view and look down and say, do we really need that project that someone's been working on for 20 years? Does the simple fact that they've been working on it for 20 years mean that it needs to happen? Or could we get by with something cheaper and more efficient that wouldn't occur to somebody whose job it is to do that thing? Uh, To bring it back to the EPA, I actually talked, had a very interesting chat this week with a former EPA staffer. Her name is Kyla Bennett. She worked for the EPA for almost 10 years um, under Republican and Democratic administrations. She now works for a whistleblower group. It's called the Public Employees for Environmental Responsibility. And so that means that she hears a lot from current and former EPA staffers, a lot of them communicating with her secretly from the current EPA. And she says from what she's hearing and what she's seeing, the EPA is in a time right now that it really hasn't seen before. In the past, No matter who the president was, you could rely on the fact that people would accept facts and support science. And science would prevail not always, because EPA is always politically susceptible. It always has been and it always will be. But generally speaking, you would usually prevail with the facts and with science. Under this administration, it's not that way. Now, we should say there's a really good episode of PBS's Frontline all about what's going on right now at the EPA aired this week. And the EPA addressed a lot of those critiques, uh, what we're talking about, what Kyla's saying. And the EPA said that they have great working relationships with career employees. But it's really, really interesting to watch this agency be run by people who have at times challenged some of the very fundamental things the EPA does. Yeah. Okay, time for one more quick break. When we come back, who said that? And the best things that happened to listeners all week. BRB. We'd like to thank our sponsor who brings you this message, Discover Card, who alerts you if they find your social security number on any one of thousands of risky websites. Discover believes that there are some things that you just need to know. It's just another way Discover looks out for you, not just your account. And best of all, social security alerts are free for Discover card members. All you have to do is sign up online. Learn more at discover.com slash free alerts. Limitations apply. Support also comes from Lyft. Reminding listeners that they could be relaxing in a Lyft ride right now, with their eyes closed, listening to Beethoven or whale sounds, or a babbling brook, or something else relaxing. Lyft provides rides as relaxing as the buttery smooth voice of a public radio announcer, 
because riding is just a more relaxing way to drive. Lyft, it matters how you get there. Download and ride today. We are back, and now it's time for my favorite game. It's called Who Said That? Do you guys know this tape? <laughs> no, tell me about it. This is from the Real Housewives of Atlanta. Okay. A salacious question prompted a lot of the housewives to be like, who said that? Anyway, it's what we call the game. We use that tape every week. And the game is... I mean, I heard Porsche, I heard Nini, but I went... Oh, look, you know, you know. You know. I love it, I love it. All right. It's simple. I share a quote from the week. You guys have to guess who said that. We'll do three or four of these today. And here's the hook. The winner gets absolutely nothing. Nice. Nice. Oh, yeah. All right, here we go. First quote. It is, I just wanted to go there just to do it. I stood in line just to do it. It felt fantastic. Who said that? Oh, I do remember this story. It was on TV. Yeah. Oh, man. It's Oprah. Sorry, Oprah. I should have let oh, you guys it's guess. it's Ellen and Oprah talking about how they haven't been to the bank. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So in some weird quiz segment, Ellen and Oprah are talking, and Oprah tells a story about how she hadn't been to the bank in decades. So she goes, and she tells Ellen how she deposits a million dollars after waiting in line. You stood in line? <laughs> stood in line. And deposited a million dollars? Yeah, just to do it. Wow, how did that feel? It felt fantastic. I bet it did. <laughs> it was fantastic. That's fantastic. <laughs> That's all. Actually, it was two million. <laughs> <laughs> did she have one of those oversized novelty checks? God, I hope so. Yeah. And if I were that bank teller, I would have saved that check and taken a selfie with it. Oh, yeah. yeah. I hope that like it was an oversized novelty check and that it had been folded down to the dimensions of a normal check <laughs> and that she had to slowly unfold it at the like teller's desk and it became larger and larger. Finally, it's just Oprah standing there with a giant it. check. I love it. Next quote. This is actually happening. All the wives are fighting. Even I am speechless. Who said that? Housewife related. I thought it was Ivana and Melania. It's about that, but who said it in response to that controversy? It's someone affiliated with the Housewives franchise. Oh. Andy. Yes, yes. (laughs) Andy Cohen. Yes. Andy Cohen tweeted this uh, because he was reacting incredulously to this feud between Trump ex-wife Ivana and Trump current wife Melania. Ivana's out doing promo for her new book, and she said in a TV interview, quote, she's the first lady. (laughs) Melania said, not so fast. And she had a statement that responded saying there was no substance to the statement and that Ivana was attention-seeking and self-serving noise. Hmm. Drama. But the, the, you know what? I was reading about the presidency of Grover Cleveland. I think I could solve this uh, uh, Melania is it Ivana? Is that the first? Ivana. Ivana. Ivana, right. I think I could solve it because I think what Ivana might have been saying was I was the first lady, right? I was the first one of the first, his first lady. During the presidency a uh, hundred years ago or more, and I was reading about Grover Cleveland, the first lady, the <laughs> name for that position was the president's lady. And if that were still the name, there'd be no question about who's the president's lady. Okay. Huh. Can I bring it back to Andy Cohen? Uh, For those listening who don't know, Andy Cohen is the emperor of the Real Housewives franchise on Bravo. 
And it was announced this week that he will be co-hosting CNN's New Year's Eve show along with his good friend Anderson Cooper, taking the Kathy Griffin spot. Oh, man. I will watch that. All right, last quote. You ready? This is for all the marbles. Quote, when you approach women, just think of me. Who said that? Oh, it's from that wonderful piece on Medium about Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Yeah. So that quote was a tweet from Dwayne The Rock Johnson, who I'm a big fan of. He was endorsing this piece on Medium that came out this week, written by Anne Victoria Clark. And the whole piece was about what she calls the rock test. She wrote it because of news this week about Harvey Weinstein. And she calls her essay, and she calls the rock test a life hack to help men who may be confused about how to treat women they work with. It's very simple. Treat all women like you would treat Dwayne The Rock Johnson. I like that. It's great. The last line of the piece ends like this. Simply offer women the same respect, admiration, and healthy dose of fear you'd offer anyone who could completely destroy you. I like it. I like it. Yeah. All right. Last one is not a quote, but a sound. Guess who said that? <laughs> Do you guys know where this comes from? This isn't... I, I, my guess is going to be wrong. And like, Say it. Oh, no. Uh, it's not like the sound that they played for the uh, for the diplomats in Cuba. Yes, it is. It is. I was feeling nauseous. (laughs) So, okay, this was a sound heard by American government workers in Havana, Cuba. Investigators think it might have been a sonic weapon of some sort. Cuba denied involvement. Um, The sound has been known to cause hearing, cognitive, visual, balance, sleep, and other problems. Mike, Alex, you're welcome. No, why did you do that to us? I I was going to say you didn't treat us very diplomatically, but apparently you did. Oh, this guy, this guy. (laughs) So that's it. The game is over. I didn't keep score. I don't care who won. Yeah, no no one won. All right, Alex, Mike, it is almost done. It's almost time. We've almost made it. But first, a plug for our Tuesday episode. I had a great conversation with Taron Killam, formerly of SNL. Ooh. He just directed his first film. It is a an action comedy mockumentary featuring Arnold Schwarzenegger. Wow. It's Ooh. a lot. It's a lot. I love Taron Killam. He's really good. He, he was so much great. fun. He, so we talked about his movie. He gave me a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff from SNL. We laughed so much. We talked about how he was there when Trump hosted SNL. And let me tell you, there was some drama uh, behind the scenes. What was the drama? Drama. Listen to find uh, out. I know what I'm going to, but I, I also want to know. I'll tell you afterwards. All right. With that, we're going to end the weekly wrap as we always do. Each week, I ask listeners to send us a recording of their own voices, sharing the best thing that happened to them all week. We encourage them to brag. We have some of the tape here. Take a listen. Hey, Sam. This is Maggie from Mercer, Pennsylvania. And my best thing all week is my moment right now. Oh, wow. I took my mom to the Pacific Ocean for the very first time and she's putting her feet in right now and I'll send a picture along with it that's all enjoy your week that water's cold hey Sam it's Irene the best thing that happened to me this week is that I became a first-time homeowner. Congrats. I Yay. celebrated my 33rd birthday this past week by paying off my student loans. Yeah. I got tickets to see Star Wars at midnight Woo. with my friends on December the 13th. Oh. My daughter, Ella, who is five and just started kindergarten, read her very first book all by herself. Congrats. Hi, Sam. This is Sylvain from Paris, France. The best thing that happened to me all week was when my wife 
had flowers sent to me at work for my birthday.、Yeah. And my coworkers were very impressed, and I felt like a princess. <laughs> for you. Hey, Sam. This is Jake from South Carolina. The best thing that happened to me this week is that I took a vacation day in the middle of the week for the first time in a very long time. Yeah. I got to go to the gym. I got to pick my daughter up from school, and I discovered this podcast all on my day off. Hey now. Hey. Thanks, Sam. Hey y'all! This is Shannon from Round Rock, Texas, and the best thing that happened to me this week is my husband went out of state for four days, and I survived that whole time by myself、oh. with my over thirteen month old.、Oh. It's getting easier. It's getting really fun, and this is the trap. This is why people have more. <laughs> <laughs> hey Novi, what's the best thing that happened to you this week? You're three. You turned three. I shut up. <laughs> Hi Sam, this is Lauren from Florida, and about two weeks ago, I went for a run early in the morning, and I was hit by a car when I was crossing the street. Oh my god, I'm、um, so sorry. I lost consciousness and、oh. don't remember anything about what happened until I got to the hospital.、Uh, I was there for 11 days, getting multiple surgeries. Goodness! And while、oh. I was there, I learned that a doctor had witnessed the accident and held my head the whole time that I was. Lying down on the、wow. ground, and on my very last day at the hospital, he came to say hello, and I got to thank him in person for saving my life. Oh my goodness! And so that was the best thing that happened to me this week, and I'm home now, recovering, and I'm going to be okay. But getting to thank him for what he did is something I'll never forget. Oh my goodness! Have a great weekend. Thanks. Thanks. Love the show. Bye. Oh, so glad you're here. Thanks to all the voices you heard there, Maggie. I'll tweet that photo you sent to us of your mom at the beach. Irene, Mark, Melanie, Melissa, Sylvan in France, Jake, Shannon, Novi, and her mom. Happy birthday! Thank you all. We listen to all these that come in, and we wish we had time to play them all. We don't, but gosh, thank you guys for sharing those things.、Uh, also, a lot of you ran marathons this past week. Congrats to those that did so. You're stronger than me because I don't do that. I hit five <laughs> miles and I'm done.、Uh, Anyone can share with us their best things all week. Do it at any time throughout the week. Just record yourself and send the file to samsanders at npr dot org. I think Whitney's gonna take us home. Bring it back, Mama. We made it. All right. Thank you, Whitney, for your dulcet tones. Thank you this week to Jeff Rogers and Steve Nelson who edit the show. Thank you as well to our VP of programming here at NPR, Anya Grundman,、uh, and thanks as always to the real MVP, Brent Bachman, who produces this show. He's kind of sad this morning. His Washington Nationals lost last night, but you know what? There's no joy in Mudville. IDK, ID, I, I don't care because I don't do the sports balls, baseballs. Also, Anjali Sastry, our new producer. Kicking butt already! So glad you're here on the team. All right, refresh your feeds Tuesday morning for Taryn Killam, Alex, Mike. Y'all are such rock stars. Thank you so 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 much. Thank you. You are welcome. By the way, these two fine folks—they'll be doing a live show together very soon. Can we say that? Yeah, yeah. When is、We're、the show? We're plugging it. Plug it. November twenty eighth, Hamilton Theater, Washington D.C. Yeah, love it. Thank you, Sam. Listen,、hey. I'm here for you, Pesca. I'm here for you. <laughs> We're done. Let's leave the booth. Whitney, sing it. I like this song because it's very churchy. Yeah, it's very churchy. No, I want to put like, I want to sway back and forth. You are. I, I guess I am. <laughs>、yeah.